Welcome to another edition of Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences, Inc. I am Dr. Steve Wood, and with me again is my co-host, my buddy, Bill Kanaski. Bill, how is it? What a rough 24 hours, I got to tell you. I didn't shave my head. I did not shave my head today. I, I just pulled it all out by hand. <laughs> Everything going wrong. I mean, and then I, got, I just I'm, I'm starting an argument on LinkedIn. You know, you got to be careful with that stuff. But um, I'm going to tell you why to start an argument is that a company just go on my page. You'll see it. I'm not going to mention them. Company just this happened within 30 minutes ago to all their, you know, thousands of followers. It said the number one way to prevent a nuclear verdict is by developing better safety and compliance protocols. Huh? Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no, no. So I just, I went, did you read my response yet? Did you read I it? I have okay, not. Read, I'm gonna, read I'm it gonna... after the pie. I, I, I did respond twice. Like people, what, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? Hey, let's put more safety language in our manuals. Yeah, that'll work. That'll yeah. prevent it. Good God. I just, it's, is today Tuesday? Today is yeah. Tuesday. Uh, yeah, I just, I have a pounding headache and it's Tuesday because yesterday was a complete epic disaster. Nothing going right. Okay, so let's start with, uh, I'm going to bounce this off you. I want you to think before you vote. It's always important to think before you vote. And boy, it's, I think this is close to a tie for different reasons. Bigger idiot, Urban Meyer, John Gruden. That's a tough one. Oh boy. Now really think about that. I mean, yeah, they're both, they're both, they're bad. both idiots. I think I'd, I'd give the, I think I'd give the nod to, to Gruden, but ju- just by oh. a hair, because I remember seeing the video of Urban Meyer and, and just doing like literally a face palm yeah. you know, on myself. Like what, what, what an idiot. But I think, I, I think I would say Gruden takes it by, by a little bit. I mean, this is just the world we live in. And funny enough, apparently that happened, what, 10 years ago. Yeah. So it's really not the world we live in because it's 10 years. But the fact of the matter that it came out right now, 10 years later and being used again. This is, this is great stuff. You got to love the litigation psychology. And by the, the reason why the story is relevant is because the Gruden stuff came out because of litigation, right? That's why all that stuff was preserved and saved and then leaked. Um, Steve, I'm not sure how many cases you had in which you have, um, it's typically business litigation where you have some pretty ugly emails yeah. uh, that are embarrassing. Yeah, that, well, that's... So- um, the whole thing right like write emails assuming that they'll be used against you at some point in litigation email like a ceo it's like yes period no period that's right thank you period no emojis no smiley faces no humor right you can't do that yeah gosh um steve on today's episode i want to i want to go because uh what we're both really good at which doesn't work with every witness or client. We're really good at sports analogies. And I studied sports psychology. I've done some sports psychology. And I think a lot of the principles and techniques of sports psychology uh, really do apply uh, to, to, the, to the witness training uh, system. 
and I was trying to think about this is what we, you know, one of the core skills that we teach, I think one of the most difficult, I think it's the most difficult witness skill <clears throat> that we teach. And it's uh, a skill that, yes, I invented. I'm taking full credit for this. Um, we call it forcing cognition, forcing cognition, where it's a gap of time. Well, first of all, the word forcing is, is, is a bad word. Forcing is not a positive word. But this is where the witness needs to force their brain to do something that they don't want to do. Remember, the brain wants to be the brain's wired neurocognitively for efficiency. Right. It's not wired for effectiveness. Imagine if you took two to five seconds every day to make every decision. Before you said any every two to five seconds, you'd be a jellyfish by three o'clock, right? Or by noon, you'd be a, you'd just, your brain would turn to mush. It just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, right? And so we teach witnesses a skill forcing cognition, which means for you know, forcing in a two to four, two to five second gap of time to maximize cognition before you open your yapper. Now, imagine, imagine if we went through life and all did that. Imagine how much better off we'd be. Yeah, imagine how yeah. much less, imagine how much less trouble you, we'd both be in if we actually just used our brain at triple the capacity that we typically do before we opened our mouths. Yeah, no, I agree. It's too, I, too many <laughs> times, right? Like you said, people just fire off something and then you want to pull it back later. But once you, you know, as we tell, I always tell witnesses, that's that a bell you can't unring, especially in litigation. I mean, you do it, yeah. we do it in society and we can say, oh man, sorry, I, I didn't mean that, but you do it in litigation. Didn't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Didn't mean that. Um, well, so I came up with some, you know, and there's the reason why this two to five second, because I think this two to five second gap, um, I think everything else after that is really highly dependent upon this. Because I can tell you this, witnesses that go too fast, minimize their cognition and they step on landmines and make mistakes. So the number one weakness we see, number one problem with witnesses by far number one ranked is speed. Yep. And neurocognitive efficiency as opposed to neurocognitive effectiveness. Um, and that effectiveness requires energy and effort. And that's that two to five seconds. So I went online and looked up NFL quarterback release windows. Guess, just take a wild guess what it is. Wild guess. Jeez, it's What's less the than a second. Nope. No. Tom Brady oh, was the fastest. The window. the window. Oh, okay. That's probably, I would say, three to four seconds. Two to four seconds. Oh, okay. It's the window. The fastest in the league through, like, the first four weeks was Tom Brady. At 1.9 seconds. But that's the average, right? Remember, so on a deeper drop. But here's the point, And the reason I'm using this analogy is you have this window of time to make decisions, right? right. And when you look at uh, Trevor Lawrence, uh, who's the goofball out for the, the, the Jets? That's just getting his, his mom's Wilson. like amazing. <laughs> I see more of his mother than I do, Zach, Zach Wilson. Yeah. Uh, his mom's great. I love his mom. Um, but he's getting crushed. And the reason why is 
they struggle to to use the proper cognition within the two to four second window and they make mistakes right hey mahomes did it. everybody that first year is really really tough and what what do the quarterbacks say in years two and three the game has slowed down yeah no yeah. no 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 that is completely wrong what they mean is my brain has adjusted right now right. in the same two to four seconds i make better decisions why because i took a year to throw a lot of interceptions and do this all wrong. So one of the key purposes, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to circle this back around the litigation of psychology, is the process of witness training. I, I think it's critical that the witness does the same thing, right, Steve? I mean, the witness, before they throw the ball, right? Before you fire that ball, you need to be knowing you're throwing it to the right receiver. The witness is doing the exact same thing. And before they commit to an answer, they got to be sure it's the right target. I mean, speed, speed. I mean, you've heard the phrase speed kills, right? Yeah. Which I think should be the title of this podcast if our producers will last. Speed kills. And what that means is that speed is generally on an athletic field or it's generally a good thing, right? But, yeah. in, but there are some situations where it's not, right? Now think think about this. If you do things too quickly, right? For example, I, I mean your son's a monster baseball player, and I know he pitches. If if the pitcher's pitching, not speed kills pitching too fast, as in the velocity of the ball, but is cutting corners on motion, right? Right. And delivery and mechanics because he wants to pitch more efficiently that's not a good thing right it's gonna no, fall down it's not leads to injuries right leads to errors leads to walks leads to all sorts of things yeah and then how many times you watch college basketball right and uh some freshman point guard you know gets the pass and then it's the first pass of that particular possession and he just jacks up a three and <laughs> clanks it off and you're gone dude what do you do like time time leads to better answers because you get to maximize cognition. And again, um, yeah, I guess a fast break is, is a good thing when you dunk the ball and that goes really, really fast. But in most cases, I think it's the opposite. I think as we maximize cognition, witnesses get better answers. The problem is, and Steve talk, cause I know that you work with a lot of witnesses on this, the discomfort with not answering immediately is like through the roof, right? It feels, it feels really awkward. Yeah. And I, and I talk about, I usually talk about embracing the power of the awkward silence. And I think one of, you know, Elon Musk is one of the best at doing that. And if you ever watch like an interview with him where he's doing it, 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 it's painful to watch, but you can tell that he's actually putting a lot of thought into his answers and he's very, he's, he's being very uh, careful in how he answers and he's being very thoughtful. And yeah, a lot of times, witnesses just feel like they need to answer because like I said, it's very, very uncomfortable to actually sit there when someone else is looking at you waiting for a response yeah. and, and you feel the need, you have to give an answer right away. And it feels very uncomfortable, but it's one of those things that witnesses just need to learn to, to just get over. I mean, I always say, you know, do whatever you're going to do before the deposition, do whatever you're going to do outside after the deposition, but within that confines of however long your deposition lasts, 
you're going to have yeah. to change the way your thought process is. And it's going to be uncomfortable, but it's going to be for the best for you. But what a lot of people don't understand. It's a skill. Okay. Listening is a skill. Thinking is a skill. Responding is a skill. And that's where we come. And that's where a lot of attorneys don't understand. Well, I told my listener, told, I told my witness to listen, you know, and think careful. It's like, you can't just tell somebody. Right. You got to teach them how to do that. It's a skill that gets better with practice and time. And so I, I thought maybe we talk a little bit about some sports psychology today uh, because an athlete is performing right uh, in front of an audience, a performer, a, a musician, a dancer. I mean, these are all performance issues. A witness is performing. I'm sorry. They are. They're carrying out a skill set in front of an audience. Okay. And so uh, there's a couple of different things that, you know, I would teach athletes, which I, which I, I teach all the witnesses. Um, um, because I think it's really important because you have to protect, you have to protect that two to five second gap of cognition. We've talked about on other podcasts, how fatigue wears people down and then that gap starts to get smaller and then they start making mistakes, which is why the breaks are so important. Um, and it takes a lot of energy to use that two to four or five, five seconds. It's, it's really important. But I noticed that witnesses, particularly early on, tend to abandon the two to five seconds um, pretty quickly. I think a lot of that is nerves. A lot of that is kind of getting uh, warmed up in the process. Um, but um, relaxation, number one, I think, you know, any, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this. I don't th think the audience is a general public. Every PGA golfer, every single one of them has their own personal sports psychologist. And you know what the number one thing they work on? Relaxation training. Because that's how their swing goes off. Because they start having anxiety. Throws off their breathing. Cortisol starts going throughout their, their veins, right? From stress. Throws off your muscle mechanics. Boom. You're hitting it in the woods. Or, you know, you're, 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 you're missing that, the, the, you know, the big putt. Because you, you know, you, 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 you pushed it. And it's the number one skill taught by a sports psychologist. And quite frankly, it's one of the main skills uh, uh, that we teach, because what I do know is that if a witness cannot relax, they can't think, right? I mean, they, 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 they can't think. Nervous people can't think, which is, again, another reason why the des desensitization process is so important, um, you know, and witness prep, but you can see, I can see witnesses like, like almost mouth breathing and, and, and upper chest breathing and not rely. And I time out, what are you doing? They're like, well, I'm just so nervous. I don't know what's coming next. So being in that environment can, can lead to a good natural adjustment, but they got to learn how to breathe. I tell these witnesses, I'm like, by the way, you can't sit there. Like, here's the question. Then one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, one. Okay. Now I can't, you can't do that. Right. That's dumb. But what you can do is question. Answer. That's three seconds. That's one breath in one breath out. Keeps you relaxed. And I try to get them to focus on their breathing. Again, you watch any perfect. Look at the guy going to the free throw line. Talk about a 
uh, a pre-shot routine, right? Pre, it's like a pre-answer routine. Every witness should have a pre-answer routine. These golfers have a pre-putt routine. They have a pre-driver routine. Every basketball player has a as a uh, um, was it John Stockton that used to do this with his face to say hi to his kids on TV? Yeah. yeah, I mean everybody has a routine before they do whatever they're going to do for their performance. I think the witness can do the same thing. I think it's, I think it should be focused on breathing. I mean, have you had witnesses where they kind of get all amped up and then before you know it, they just, they abandon the game plan and they get into that speed trap because they're not breathing. They've lost their focus and they've allowed the plaintiff's attorney just to take over the deposition. Well, I think that's exactly uh, what you said at the very end about allowing the plaintiff attorney to take over the deposition. And that's where you see it, right, is they, they start off on a good path of, of staying slow and, and breathing. But then what ends up happening is plaintiff's counsel starts trying to speed them up. And rather than take the time and allow themselves to slow the pace down, they get into that rhythm because then it feels good. And it feels like the normal everyday feels good. conversation. Yeah, it feels said, good. Right? That's, that's the that's the problem. And here's the here's the problem with um, with um, <laughs> making mistakes at deposition. And it makes no sense whatsoever. It's like going into the matrix, right? I tell the witnesses, I'm like, if it feels good, you are really screwing this up. Yeah. If it feels terrible, you're probably doing a good job, right? Yeah, because it's so unnatural. I mean, nobody talk. I mean, nobody talks that slow, right? I mean, no one, no one, no one pauses like that. Um, and it's just, I think a lot of it's our society, just the way we are. I mean, I know if I go, that's why I got to take my damn phone with me to the gym, because if I don't answer an email or a text timely, you know, somebody's pissed at me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Actually, I, I take it to listen to my podcast or listen to music is why I take it. But now it's all in one. But yeah, it's like this society. I mean, we are like speed. Speed is really good. And then you take somebody. And by the way, it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse, meaning speed and efficiency. The reinforcement of those behaviors is really, really high. So now. This is probably the hardest time in human history to prep a witness, isn't it? I mean, because of the speed of everything else, I tell the, I know I try to use as many analogies as I can to make people comfortable because everybody comes into witness prep uncomfortable. And I told the one guy the other day, I'm like, listen, you're used to driving the car at 75 miles per hour. Well, I literally need you to drive it at like 20. <laughs> For the entire death. And he's like, oh, I don't like driving 20. I'm like, I know. <laughs> he was like, it's uncomfortable to drive 20. I go, I know. I know. But that's what I need. Steve, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, you're a social psychologist. I don't see these trends getting any better. I think it's going to become harder and harder to prep witnesses because I think technology is changing the brain, which is altering cognition, which makes our jobs difficult and it's going to get worse. No, I absolutely agree. I mean, we're, we're a society of instant gratification, right? And they talk about how I've, I've seen studies where they talk about the release of dopamine that you get when you check in your phone about whether or not there's a text message or an email. Or Doing anything. that right now. Yeah. See, see? I've already violated the rules. 
And that's the point. I mean, how many times have you ever seen an email where somebody fires off an email and then they, follow, they send a follow-up email with a different additional information that they forgot to send in the previous email because they wanted to get out the email to you so quick rather yeah. than let it sit, uh, you know, for 15 minutes. So I, I think to your point, your instant gratification, we want to we want to do things quickly because, like you said, it makes us feel good. And as you said, if you feel good in a deposition, give it up. I mean, you should not walk yeah. out of a deposition feeling like. And I, the other thing too is when we talk about answering too quick or not yep. thinking fully, is that's when people will essentially, you know, barf their guts on the table because they want to get the whole story out and then just set the record straight because they want to feel good at the end and feel like they absolved themselves of everything. And as we know, yeah. position is obviously not the time to do that. But it goes back to the, the gratification. I have to feel like I got everything out. I, you know, I have to feel like I got my side heard. And rather than pulling back and doing things that don't feel comfortable, I do what yeah. feels good. Yeah, it's really amazing. And so there's times I've actually taken witnesses and literally stop, like put them through the actual sports psychology breathing techniques, you know, the... You know, diaphragmatic breathing, full volume tidal breathing to get them the call to calm the hell down. It works every time. And the key, which I find amazing is, and you've seen this in the witness preps during my, you see it like when the, when the witness brain hits the groove, they're good. Right. Yeah. And then you got two, three, four seconds between each. It's good, but they got to get there first. They have to realize, yeah, this feels terrible. But their brain has to learn this terrible feeling is actually a safety net. This is really, really helping me. So there's a lot going on there with that gap of time. But I would say this, as a witness training expert, without that gap of time, the witness is screwed. Period. Yeah. If they don't think, if they don't think, they have no chance, number one, in the, in the, in the grand scheme of things. Number two, you're going against a reptile attorney? <laughs> Speed kills that's when speed really really yeah. kills so this force cognition is really important i think i think uh teaching relaxation skills to these witnesses which by the way attorneys are incapable of i say att attorneys make people more nervous see they they don't attorneys don't make people relax they do the exact opposite and so that's why these skills are so important secondly which i think is this never gets talked about. This could probably be a separate podcast. This could be this could be a paper. Could write a paper on this. Is the second skill that sports psychologists focus on is the skill of positive thinking. Positive being able to reframe negative events. Think about think about today. Okay, so 2021 going on 22. Oh man, I've I've struggled with some uh, cognitive reframing, Steve. I don't know about you, but I'm trying to take negatives and not let them get to me. And what the athlete is taught, because listen, I mean, you well, you coach baseball for years. You're, what do you tell your son after he strikes out? Because I tell you, when I was playing baseball, well, first of all, my dad was screaming at me. He was like, "This is back in the day." I shit you not. In 1982, when I'm in like third grade in Little League, all the dads brought beer to the game. Like, and every dad is just plastered at noon in the stand. And I strike out. My dad would start yelling at me. And that strikeout in, in inning two would stick in my mind the rest of that game. And then 
I, I then I'm fumbling the ball. I'm overthrowing first base from shortstop. I mean, the negative thoughts that happen after a failure within an event just destroys athletic performance. It can destroy witness performance. I mean, what do you tell adolescents after they strike out? Because they got to mentally keep it together, right? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you look for the positives in it. You know, did they foul the ball off? Were they taking close pitches? Did they run, you know, did they run the count up and have a good at bat? But I think the biggest thing I always, and I, I can, I can vividly think of an example right now where we had, we had a guy strike out, you know, he was, he was really upset. He was struggling for the whole weekend, you know, and I told him, we need you, we need you here. We need you yeah. present. We need you to just, you know, brush it off because I'm telling you right now, there's going to come a time where we're going to need you and you're going to come through and this is all going to go away. And sure <laughs> yeah. enough, I swear we were down by one run. This kid hits it, walks it off and we end up winning the game. And it was like his one hit of the whole tournament, but yeah. keeping him in the cognitive frame of mind in the right frame of mind of understanding like, okay, bad things have happened, but I can't let it steamroll. And I, you know, with witnesses, it's the same thing, right? It's, you're not going to be perfect. You're not no. going to be, listen, I'm sorry, witnesses. You're not going to be perfect. And here's the other problem. We deal with a lot of corporate executives, physicians, right? Engine. I mean, people that strive to be perfect. And boy, when they, when they, when they fuck up, I mean, they really, really get down on themselves or they get yeah. mad and it can screw up the rest of the testimony. And uh, yeah, I'm watching NFL the other. Uh, did you watch the the Packers um, the Packers Bengals game? They have like four field goals at the end. Miss, 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 miss. Went to overtime. Another miss, and then finally. But it's like it's like after the kicker misses the field goal, like you said, it's important for coaches and players to say, "Hey, shake it off. Get back to good men. We're gonna need you again." Mm-hmm. Right. And the same thing at the deposition. Right. If you step on a grenade or right? step on a landmine and that blast goes off, doesn't necessarily mean it's the end of the world. Right. Some witnesses are going to screw up and they may start going too fast. What's the attorney's job to maybe take a break? Right. Uh, they may say too much in an answer. It's going to happen. Witnesses are going to make mistakes. But I do see a lot of witnesses in our training sessions kind of kicking themselves after they make mistakes. And I think that they need to go into this understanding. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. You really, really don't. And it's, it's hard to teach that when you're dealing us like now, when, now let's go on the other end. When you're dealing with the truck driver, maybe the lower level nurse, you, when you say you don't have to be perfect, they're like, Whoa perfect good great like they're fine with that right they're totally okay with that there's no issue with them but you know when you're dealing with your cardiothoracic surgeon your c-level executive i mean these people i mean they they have to be perfect or it's like like this narcissistic injury that they can't get over i mean i don't know do you think i mean i personally think this is going to sound weird it's going to sound weird I think in many instances, I find it more difficult to work with really, really super smart witnesses than someone of average intelligence. I think it's uh, really I, difficult. I agree 100 like, They don't bend. They don't yeah. bend. And they think they know. It's like, dude, you got to. I mean, it's a it's a headache. Well, I think <laughs> the other headache. thing, the other thing that I find is that the, this forcing cognition for them is really difficult as well. Because they've moved up 
to their positions of where they're at by being smart, by being Johnny on the spot, by having all the answers at the time. And they more so than anyone, because they're used to people turning and looking to them to have the answers in the middle of a meeting. They don't like the feeling and don't, and just can't force themselves and allow themselves to, to take time before they respond. So I think for, for those, this, those group of people, this forcing cognition is extremely, extremely, extremely difficult. They just have the most trouble out of anything to try to slow themselves down. And it's, it, it's, it's hard to teach. It's hard to teach and it takes, but then once they get it, they get it. But the other thing they're susceptible to is which, okay. So again, I'm going, I'm trying to keep this parallel of sports and sports psychology and litigation psychology. The same thing happens. Um, it happened during all the football games. Today. Saturday was terrible. Yeah. You know, college football is starting to really, really irk me. And don't get me started on the targeting and, and the, the the refs are horrendous, but the way these kids behave on the field just 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 makes me nuts. But but this has always been around. Uh, well, I'd say definitely during since TV, and then definitely social media, is the amount of taunting and trash talking is absolutely incredible. Why do you think that happens? We we do this in our witness training. It's called the head game. Right. The, yeah. the plaintiff attorney does this. You give a great, the witness gives a great answer and the attorney's like, serious? Like what? Come on. Who are you fooling here? I don't think he yeah. answered the question. Now let, me, now let me ask it again. They taunt the witness just like the cornerback, right? And so the wide receiver Drop the touchdown. And I'm going, son. Dude. And what and what happens after that? That cornerback is up in the ear of that receiver doing what? I, I'm in your head. 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 Right? And then mm -hmm. that receiver has to go back to the huddle. And if, if that processes, that guy's going to drop another ball. Okay? Now, see, in golf, they don't do this. They're, it's more of a gentleman sport. Right? Right, somebody misses the putt, you can't say suck on it. You know, you can't yeah. do that, right? But in football, right? I mean, look at look at base. I mean, your favorite sport, baseball. I mean, you know, you you get into a pitch. I've seen batters get into a pitcher's head, and the pitcher loses. The, they get upset, and they can't throw strikes. Oh, it's over. And the funny thing you say that is, you know, for, I'm in College Station, you know, Texas A&M University, and they have they're very famous for as the pitcher starts to th throw, you know, multiple balls in a row, ball five, ball five, ball six. <laughs> yes. I mean, crowd. You, get, yeah. you get a big crowd doing that, man. I, it, you should see how, how bad this pitcher struggles to throw a strike after that. Because when you got the whole stadium, just barreling down on you, yep. you know, it's unbelievable. So I think that we've proven that there are sports psychology techniques that can be used uh, in witness training. I think there's a lot of parallels, um, but let's wrap up this podcast by reporting i'd sent you the text yesterday on sun i think it was a sunday night football or was it uh whenever the chiefs okay so one of the chiefs so our last podcast which by the way i just put it's it's hilarious it's absolutely hilarious but it's also very scientific but we've been going over week by week steve and i go over baseball basketball football these fans continue just to, to beat the living shit out of each other. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable. And these are your jurors, folks. These are these are these are jury eligible people for the most part. So so it was uh, yesterday when 
Um, of course, someone's filming, not trying to help the situation. They right. want to make sure they could put it on Twitter. The someone's filming. And the I think it was the Kansas City Chiefs fan just got absolutely clobbered. Yeah. And then the day the day before that, it was a couple uh, uh, of the college football games. There were fights. And I mean, several NFL games. There were there were people throwing haymakers and it's happening every week. And it just goes to show you that, you know, let's kind of end on this. You know, when you're when you're uh, when you have obviously emotion and alcohol, really, really, really bad combo. Bad combo. Now, the good thing is you don't get that combo in jury selection, but you better be you better learn how to assess the emotional status of your jurors. Otherwise, uh, now again, they're not. There's not probably not going to be haymakers thrown in deliberations, but you can see how those emotions come out, and then people start doing crazy stuff. Yeah, there's definitely uh, definitely a level of anger that I have, have seen personally and on nuts. the internet that I just haven't seen haven't seen in a while. And yeah, that could definitely bleed over, like you said, not haymakers, but definitely perceptions of of cases and whether or not someone is sympathetic to a plaintiff attorney or a, a plaintiff uh, injured plaintiff yeah. you know, before they might that before they might have been very sympathetic now they're probably less sympathetic uh, you know and, and those people who are dying the wool defense jurors are probably going to be even more so so yeah it's it's crazy times with i mean the courtroom i mean luckily luckily for trial attorneys th- see there's always a negative stimulus that pushes the person it's not just alcohol because uh, there's plenty of sober people on airplanes that have gotten in fights. Um, although alcohol is a problem there too, but, but not nearly as much as it is at the, at the, at the ballpark or, 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 or the football. But the negative thing is, okay, well, if I'm in the stadium is okay. There are people around me. a, I'm sitting really close to people, but, but B I don't like a lot of these people because they're wearing a different Jersey. So that's yep. my negative stimulus. I'm going to lose my mind. And then the airplane, it's the mask wearing and people, you know, um, sitting too close to one another and and then the the flight of this came out the article this week hey maybe all the fights are because flight attendants are not being particularly nice to people and you got people firing there's always a negative stimulus that i think is really the the trigger i don't think alcohol is the trigger because this alcohol is not a trigger it's not it has a very very different role but there are several triggers like that the courtroom and the deliberation room I think purposely doesn't have those triggers, right? It's a very controlled environment, really designed to limit emotion in, in, in a way to keep everybody um, um, on the same page. And so that's why, at least with the mock trials we've done and talking to um, attorneys and things like that, um, um, I haven't seen anything crazy in a deliberation or courtroom environment. I, in fact, I mean, I'll go out there and go out on a limb for now, knock on wood. Um, a lot of what I'm seeing right now is exactly what I saw in 2018, 2017, 2016. I, it, there's not, a, I don't see a tremendous difference in that controlled environment. I go out to the grocery store. I see clerks getting knocked out. Right. I see road road rage is tripled. Um, fights on airplanes. I go to a stadium and I got to have my head on a swivel. Those environments have completely changed. 
I mean, I think I think it's just the benefit of the court system and having bailiffs with guns probably helps too. just yeah. keeps everybody in a very controlled state of mind. Um, and I, I have no reason yet to see that changing going forward. Why don't you close up on that? I think you're right. I mean, one of the biggest things, it's a difference in environment. You know, you and I have had this conversation before where I can see litigation coming from these, from these stadiums because security is not doing their job. Right. I mean, how many times I just, when you and I were talking the other day, I was talking about a situation where one of the fans was yelling up at, at the security saying, Hey, do your job. Do your job. These guys are fighting down here. Do your job. Uh, So I think to your point in the courtroom, right. You got the judge. Everybody always defers to the judge and, you're very respectful to the judge. You got the bailiff. You have a lot of different aspects. Yeah. There's authority. Accountability for authority and accountability. Yeah. Right. Authority and accountability. accountability anywhere else. You knock someone out at the grocery store. It goes up on Twitter. You walk away and nothing happens after that. I, I know. And that's and that's why people post the stuff they post. They do what they do. I mean, go to a nightclub. Right. And there's 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 five bouncers that weigh 275. Yeah. And bench 500 pounds. You ain't screwing around. You're not no. doing it. Mm-mm. Right. But, yep. you know, you go to a stadium, you know, and you got, you know, eight rent-a-cops when you probably need 25 in one section. No one's scared of them. No accountability. I don't know. But we will continue to discuss the human behavior aspects because these are jury eligible people. But um Cool. Why don't you close us out, Steve? Thanks for thanks for setting this up. I think things are we're approaching 100. We're approaching the end of the year. Um, and I think um, I think there's going to be I think the, I, I think the world's going to continue to change in the into 2022. And we're just going to have to keep um, adjusting by doing our jury research uh, to keep you know honing our witness training skills, because uh, it's a pretty fast moving world out there. No, I agree. Yep. Always, always adapting. We're always trying to get more information, gather information, tweak, you know, tweak things, make adjustments. Like you said, learn from jurors, learn from attorneys, learn from everything that's going on around us just to make us better at our jobs so that we can help our clients make better informed decisions and have them have more you know, beneficial outcomes. So with that, I'll sign off and say thanks for joining us. This has been another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast. Brought to you by Courtroom Sciences, Inc.